You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, CA Church. Uh, my name is Tyler, as some of, someone's already shouted out. And we're happy to welcome you here today. I would invite you guys to uh, turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 54. If you have your Bible, if or in your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, and we will have it up there. We also have it on the cards that are passed out. But if you're new to church, or you're a new Christian, and you don't have a Bible, come see one of us after the service, whether it's one of the greeters, Pastor Brad, or myself, and we will get you a Bible on the welcome table. But uh, with today's series, we are going to start at chapter 7, verse 54. Uh, I would invite you all to stand as we as one church look at this verse, if you're able to. So let's read the inspired word of God together here. So when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragging, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Now on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is the word of God to us today. You guys may be seated. Thank you very much, Tyler, for doing that this morning. Let's pray and then let's look at this text together. Uh, God, I pray for, for clear, clear minds this morning. Um, there's so many things that can cloud us from hearing from you this morning. There's so many things that, uh, so many frustrations we might bring in. Uh, concerns, fears, anxieties, and we're not going to pretend that those things don't exist. We're going to bring them here, and we're going to ask for clarity in those things. We come in foggy. Please give us clear skies in our mind um, and give us a a new crisp understanding of what it means um, to hear the gospel and to follow you and allow you the story to, to overtake us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, this is a story about identity crisis. I don't know whether anyone's ever challenged you on something that you've held to be fundamentally true of who you are, but that's what's happening in this moment. Uh, I'm at the prime age. 
they say, of having a midlife crisis. Between 50 and 60, that's kind of the age. It's the age where you start questioning what you've, what you've done with your life. You know, should I wear skinny jeans if I balance them out with a sweater? Does that work? Maybe that'll be okay. I still got earrings, which were really cool in the mid-80s. You just keep wearing those, just ride it through, it might come back. You don't know. You have, then you have some who uh, do the comb over and the convertible, which are not two things that go well together, I just want to say. There's two things that should not go together. It's a comb over and a convertible. Um, but we, we often respond maybe illogically when our identity is being challenged. Now, this is quite a story. I, I've preached hundreds of sermons. Um, uh, some of, I felt really confident in some, I feel like I've lost people who I'm preaching to. Sometimes I feel like, you know, just on top of it. Other times I will go home and I'll question everything about who I am. Why am I preaching? Why am I trying to give uh, a message? I've had those bad preaching days. Nothing like Stephen's bad preaching day. Fortunately, I've never been driven out of the church on a Sunday morning with people holding their ears and screaming. This is a really bad day for Stephen. Maybe people talk about it somewhere else, but they don't tell me, so that's nice. Now, what is it that Stephen says to get this religious crowd so extremely angry? What did he challenge them on that could possibly have made them turn on him in such a way? What could have made a man like Saul, who was in the higher, highest hierarchy of religious leaders of the day, make him watch this happen and say, yes, you can do this under my authority? What possibly could he have said, well, I'm not sure if, if you know this, but a lot of people don't like it when we challenge their beliefs. A lot of people, when we challenge what they've always thought to be true about who they are, challenge how they see the world, challenge them with the reality of a God who sees and knows, some people don't like that. I don't know if you've ever come across that. This morning, I want to look at three specific things that Stephen talk to them about and uh, upset them on with these, these different, uh, these Jewish religious leaders. Because this confrontation, it, it teaches us not only about what was going on uh, in first century Judaism, which is good to know when we read the Gospels and, and the New Testament, uh, but it also tells us a bit about where we often seek to find our identity and how it can often pull us away from something much more beautiful than what God would be calling us to, a much more beautiful vision for our lives. Now, I'm not going to read all of chapter 6 and 7, but uh, I would actually encourage you to read that maybe this afternoon or this week. It helps with the context of what's going on. But I want to quickly look at uh, some of Stephen's main challenges that he gives to the crowd that, that then turns on him. Stephen was an, an early follower of Jesus Christ. He's, he's making a name for himself in, in the community, not because he's funny or, or charming or handsome. In chapter 6, verse 8, it tells us why he's making a name for himself. Stephen, a man full of God's grace, and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called. These, these were people who probably came out of Judaism. They were probably Greeks, and they probably came out of uh, a level of slavery. And then they, they were freed and, became, and created a, a synagogue. Uh, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so what did they do? 
Well, they did what many did to Jesus when Jesus would challenge them, when he would challenge their deep-seated beliefs. They came with lies. They stirred up a crowd. They started a campaign to malign his name. They tried to cancel him. They tried to shame him. Isn't it nice that we don't do that anymore when we disagree with people in our world? I'm glad that our culture has evolved. We no longer aim to shame people or malign their name. I'm glad we've moved on. I'm glad the church never does that. Well, Steve, Stephen does, uh, does not look for an out. Often when people are pushing up against people and challenging them, they feel the heat coming, they'll go, okay, I'll, I'll move on. Stephen doesn't do that. And he doesn't look to justify himself. In fact, when, when, they, they look to, when they look at him, it says in, in, in chapter 6, verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and what did they see? They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's impressive. Now, here's the thing. What is your response when you are unjustly attacked? I know what my tendency is, and I'll tell you, uh, you can ask my family. It's not often when I feel unjustly attacked that my family looks at me and says, wow, look at dad. He's a man full of grace and with the face of an angel. That seldom happens in my house. <laughs> but Stephen, with confidence in Christ and, and a hope build on, built on more than Jesus, the acceptance and his rights, he challenges their beliefs. And he points out some, some misplaced identity that they have placed their identity in the wrong things. And I will say, this is what still causes the world that you and I live in to go into a frenzy. When we challenge beliefs, and many of us go into a frenzy, when our beliefs are challenged, what we believe about, about who we are, often it will erupt with fear and anger. What are some of the pillars that we have in, in our, our culture that we build our identity on? Freedom is one of the things that we build our identity on. You will not tell me what to do. I will do whatever I want. A, a version of hedonism that says I can go and do whatever I want because that's what, where joy and flourishing is found, an unbound freedom. Self-expression. I will express myself however I want, and you are not allowed to push back on that. What we accomplish, what we can put on our wall, what we have on our business card, these are some ways that we try to build up our identity. Sometimes we try to build our identity around brokenness. Have you ever been on TikTok? TikTok is built on people's brokenness and trying to make people fans often of our brokenness. See, but the gospel wants to challenge all of these things. It wants to, the, the greatest burden that man has, the greatest burden to, to human freedom and flourishing is not brought about by the confines of society. It's the burden of sin in our hearts and sin around us pushing in on us. Well, for this, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest expression of humanity is found in the incarnation of Christ. You want to see what it looks like to live as a flourishing human? It's not self-expression. It's trying to express Christ out of ourselves, who found the greatest expression of humanity living out and giving up his rights. We try to find it in accomplishment. Well, that is just going to get us tired, and it's going to make us angry. The gospel says it's all been accomplished for you. Give that up. Brokenness. Hey, we are not ignorant at Town Center or CA Church of brokenness. Christ is not ignorant of humanity, humanity's brokenness. That's the purpose of the cross. And many suffer physically and, and suffer emotional pain. But many are trying to camp there and build uh, our identity on, on uh, we, we misunderstand who we are because of Jesus. It's one thing to walk through brokenness. It's another thing to wallow in brokenness. 
And Jesus loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is who we are. That's what we are invited. So we give up the, the, I need to express myself however I want. I need certain freedoms. I need to accomplish. I'm defined by my brokenness. There's so much more to you than that. That's the declaration of the gospel. That, that is not who we are. That is misplaced identity. And misplaced identity is the source of our current flood of anger, anxiety, and fear in our society. The gospel of Jesus the beautiful narrative of a benevolent God who loves his creation and steps into time and space to love and redeem all things to himself. That is the answer to misguided hope placed in misguided identity. The religious Jews that the church, the church encountered in the first century had three pillars that they placed their identity on. And they might seem odd to us, but this, this was like the air they breathed. They believed that their identity was built on their land, the law, and the temple. The land, the law, and the temple. And, and Stephen is declaring this is misplaced identity. He says, you have misguided hope. You have misguided identity. You have placed your identity first in your land. And he goes after this in, in chapter 7, 2 to 26. See, the Jews believed they had special privilege because they were in the land that God had promised promised them. They were in, uh, in, in Palestine. They had venerated Palestine to such a degree that their whole identity was caught up in the fact that they belonged there and it belongs to them. And so the closer you lived to Jerusalem, the closer you were to God. To walk in Israel was to walk closer to God. Stephen, because he knows Scripture... He uses it very wisely. He goes back into the history of God's people as a sort of historian, theologian, and a bit of a philosopher, and he challenged them. He says, let's look at Abraham. He starts with Abraham in verse 2. The father of our nation, chosen, loved by God, says in verse 2, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he, he lived in Haran, this is his, his trip to make it to the promised land. Acts 7, verses 4 to 5 says, So we left the land of the Chaldeans, that's the same as Mesopotamia, and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. But he gave him no inher- inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. In other words, what he's saying is the land is not the blessing. It's the, the connection, the communing, and the listening to God that brings blessing. Abraham had it, and he was never here. That's not what means you are blessed by God. Then he goes on to mention the sons of Jacob, who God watched over while they were in Egypt. That's not Israel. That's Egypt. God cared for them and raised them up there and protected them. And, and Joseph, and the story of Joseph in Egypt, walking through the desert, the people of Israel, in the desert of Mount Sinai. They were told that, that even while Moses was chosen, he's nowhere near Israel. He's standing b- b- before a bush. And God says, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. Where is holy ground? Wherever God is is holy ground. The greatest show of God's presence that the Israelites always looked back to took place in Egypt, the Passover. Coming out of Egypt when he parted the waters of the Red Sea, where where Israel always looked back to God working in their history, says that didn't even happen in this land. So why are you saying this land is where God is doing his work? Geography doesn't even come into it. It never has. Now, 
there are some that I know, there are some that I know and love, <laughs> who pine to live in areas south of the border where they believe that they can set up lives in certain states because they are deemed areas where God can more easily flourish, where there will be more comfort and more like-minded people so that they can live out their faith. If it is about the kingdom of God that we are called to, something much bigger than geography, what state or province or country we live in has very little to do with it. Our identity is more than where we dwell. It's interesting that the early church never tried to escape Rome. In fact, it always headed straight to the center. <laughs> That's fascinating. It's not, it was never escapism. The church was not filled with the Spirit so it could be comfortable. In fact, the narrative of the Scripture is more about us being, being used while we're exiles awaiting deliverance. Comfort never comes into it. Philippians 3.20 says this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we live in light of that? Well, First Peter, we, we read this in First Peter 2. It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, I'll tell you. It's hard to live good lives among the pagans when we keep trying to escape them. <laughs> I can't live with all these sinners. I'll go live somewhere else where I'm surrounded by more people who agree with me. It's hard to live holy lives in front of pagans when we don't know any. The second pillar or, or identity that Stephen went after was the Jewish pride associated with the law, with the wisdom of God given to them in Sinai, and, and the, really the whole uh, Hebrew Scriptures. And really, it was an association they had with Moses. We belong to Moses. You hear this over and over when Jesus is engaging uh, with, with these people. He, they say, well, we, we know Moses. We know Abraham, and we know Moses. There was a lot of prestige that the Israelites had in understanding themselves to be holders of the revealed wisdom of God given to them by Moses. But the ongoing critique of the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures was always, and, and as well as what Jesus critiqued them with, that they would always claim this gift of God's revelation but they often miss the deeper content of that revelation. It's, it's within the book of the Hebrew Scriptures known as the law that Jesus talks about in John chapter 5. He says, listen, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the very Scriptures that testify about me. So you can read them, you can claim them, but you can't miss that they talk about me. They're all aiming towards me. And Stephen says exactly the same thing in Acts 7. He says, you lift up Moses and your association with him, but he continued to point to someone greater than himself. In Acts 7, 37, he says, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. Stephen's saying, that prophet has come. He's shown up. Moses pointed away from himself towards Jesus. Stop aiming towards Moses. The church historically, and, we, and many of us who've been around for a while, we know this. It, it has always run into problems when, when it's built its, an, its identity on its association with a leader, its association with a certain theological group, uh, uh, these days a political party, a charismatic leader, a pet theology that we like to grab onto. 
Whenever anything gets in the way of our allegiance to Jesus, first and foremost, above all other allegiances, allegiances we are in danger of planting our identity in, in the, the murky, blinding waters of, of celebrity or, or tribalism. We get so caught up often in, in ideologies, even theologies, like the religious leaders of Stephen's day, we miss the Savior we claim to be pursuing. Stephen says, don't bank your identity on geography, on association with the right history or the right person, the right pet theology that you might have. The last thing he goes after for these Jewish leaders is the temple. He says, you think you have salvation? You think you're above the gospel that we're presenting because you have a temple, because you have the center where you say God dwells. But from the very beginning of the Jewish temple, God said it was insufficient to be able to hold him. It was too small for his story. And what we're proclaiming is that a story is so much bigger than that temple. Don't miss it. God's been saying that since the beginning. If any of you are unfamiliar with the story of the building of the temple, you can, you can look it up in 1 Kings 6, uh, 2 Chronicles 2. But basically what happened was it, the Israelites had kind of finally settled as a nation. And King Solomon, after King David had, had passed and King David was a warrior, Solomon was a very wealthy king. And he said, I need to build a, a temple for Yahweh. I, I, I need to do this. And so he wanted to please God. And by the way, he wanted to please his people. And by the way, he wanted to impress other nations. So he built a temple that would rival any other temple in the known world. But basically, God said that no matter what you build, it's going to be too small to hold me. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> now, when I was a kid, I don't know why teachers would do this. I know we've got teachers in here. I don't know why teachers in elementary school, maybe kindergarten, grade one, would make you make, like, Father's Day presents for your dad out of, like, clay. Like, I'm not an artist. I just came here to learn my alphabet. Don't make me make this. And I remember once, it must have been kindergarten, that I was making a, a pencil holder because that was the depth of my skills. A pencil, can you put a hole in something? We'll call it a pencil hole. But we were, so we were like making the clay and all the pieces. And I remember I had to make all these little round pieces that then I would like make circles with until it kind of piled up, painted it blue, kind of drooped to one side. I put a handle on it, you know, for those, you know, I don't know, those pencil emergencies when you have to carry a lot of pencils somewhere. And I gave it to my dad. It was not attractive. It was extremely ugly. But my dad took it. He patted me on the head, and he said, that's a really good job. And he took it to his desk, and he put pencils on it. And I felt like I had a play in this important part of what he does. You get the idea when you, when you read Jesus or God's response to Solomon? I mean, Solomon went through a lot to create this temple. And if you read through those chapters, he imported cedars from Lebanon. He found the best craftsmen that had everything covered in gold and silver and bronze. He had wood carvings carved into to fruits and, and flowers on pillars and, and blue and crimson cloth. The, the entire nation was weeping over the beauty of it. Solomon was proud. Other nations were looking at Israel and going, man, God must love his people. Look how they're flourishing. Look at this, this temple. And in the end, it's kind of like God kind of went... <laughs> kind of patted Solomon on the head, kind of like my dad did with my pencil holder, and just went like, I'll, I don't need it, <laughs> but I'll use it, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll kind of use it even though it's completely insufficient. 
However, throughout Israel's history, God reminded them over and over and over that God cannot be boxed in. I am Yahweh. I'm the creator of all things. You can't box me in. And Stephen points this out to the crowd in chapter 7, verse 48. He says, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. And he's quoting Isaiah here. He says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Try to figure out how, how big God's going for here. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or well, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Why are you trying to limit me? The temple, to suggest that the temple at most is anything more than an agreed-upon place for God's people to gather, built in honor to God, to say that it's anything more than that is to ignore God's own words through the prophets. Sometimes... You and I, maybe sometimes Christ followers, we, we reserve an area for the gospel in our lives and we kind of limit it to that spot. We suffer for often from the same kind of fascination as well as the Israelites did. There are many people in the lower mainland, anywhere where there's church, there are many who have a, a deep desire to worship Jesus and who drive 45 minutes past 10 fantastic churches and fantastic communities to go to the bigger church, the newer church, with the great branding and the great social media. Or even to say, I belong to Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. I follow him to church every Sunday. I don't know where he is the rest of the week, but every Sunday I know he's at church and I'm going to go there. And I get it, man. As, as, a, as a, a medium-sized church that we are, or some would say a very large church, um, there's a fine line we need to walk. <laughs> 